across this uh, account of some funny kids' sayings at Christmas, and uh, I think it's funny. Of course, it's from the UK, so I'll try to translate for you. Yeah. Thank you. At a nativity play, our young granddaughter Charlotte watched the three kings deliver gold, frankincense, and myrrh and asked, is the frankincense like aftershave? <laughs> a friend's two little girls were looking at a picture of the Virgin Mary holding baby Jesus. That's Mary, said the older girl, and that's her baby Jesus in her arms. Where's Jesus' dad then, asked her little sister. Oh, he's the one taking the picture, replied her sister. Mm -hmm. I asked my young grandson what he would like Santa to bring him. He produced a rather long list. When I commented on the length of it, he replied, it's just in case this is the last year I believe in him. Uh -huh. That kid, I like that kid. Like, he's sinking. <laughs> At my grandson's nativity play, the third wise man was hilarious when he marched up to the manger and bellowed, Frank sent this! <laughs> mm -hmm. My daughter was playing Mary and forgot her lines, so she ad-libbed, telling Joseph, um, I'm having a baby. Oh, and it's not yours. <laughs> That's a little bit too much drama. <laughs> I was at my friend's house when her six-year-old son poked his head around the door and said, Mom, you know I wanted a bike for Christmas? Well, I don't need it now. I just found one behind your wardrobe. <laughs> Do you like that, Barbara, wherever you are? <laughs> uh, my four-year-old granddaughter was telling me all about the gifts given to baby Jesus by the wise men. I asked what the shepherds took. She thought for a bit and then asked, was it pie? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. See? When I went to stay with my daughter for Christmas, I heard my grandson praying at the top of his voice for a new bike. His big sister told him, God's not deaf, you know. And he replied, no, but Nan is. <laughs> my daughter Katie was chattering away for ages to Santa, but he didn't seem to be understanding what it was she wanted for Christmas. Jumping off his knees, she chirped, I know, I'll come back tomorrow with the catalog. She make it very clear. At my grandson's school's uh, nativity play, when the innkeeper opened the curtain to show Mary and Joseph in the stable, a little voice in the audience shouted, where's the TV, Mom? <laughs> hey, you know, you know what you know. Well, bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. You all look great, fabulous. Of course, I would lie to you and, and if you didn't. But um, no, you do. You look awesome. I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm thankful for those who are tuning in online. Welcome. Um, we are in our Hallelujah series. And this is a fun one. I didn't come up with this. This is all the brilliance of Russ. Um, because when he said, this is what, this is what I want to do. I want to do a series on hallelujah. What are you going to do? I was like, oh, I don't know. And, um, so if you were with us last week, um, he really opened it up so well and he defined the term hallelujah. Do you remember that? Did you take notes? Shame. Anyway, halal. 
This is a Hebrew word. This is the first part of hallelujah. It's usually translated praise. Um, it means to boast, to celebrate, um, to shine, to make a show, to be clamorously foolish. David said, as he danced before the ark, I will be even more undignified. This is a hale or a halal. Um, the Yah is God's name, right? It's Yahweh. We, we think of it as Yahweh. And so this is a hallelujah is literally a praise to God by name, right? And so I, in my search, I'm going to take you along on my ribbon chase through this. I've done this before because, honestly, it's so amazing what God does when we are searching for what he wants to say. Um, and I am just not smart enough to manufacture anything. This has to be, has to be God. So I'm going to take you along with me. If you're not familiar with the term ribbon chase, um, we developed this, this idea that, you know, God is always speaking, right? And I had this image of, of uh, it's like a, it, it's one of those, uh, oh shoot, anime uh, things that I saw somewhere, and it was all greenery, all leaves, and then there were these two eyes were peeking through, and but I saw a ribbon, you know, the tails of a ribbon with the little cutout in them, and this ribbon was flapping in the breeze. It was as though it was beckoning me to chase it, and God spoke to me, and He said to me, "Listen, this is how this is how I often speak. I send you on a chase." that results in, in, in the treasure, right? So this, this ribbon chase actually began a few months ago and I didn't understand it. Um, and so I should pray first. I'm a little nervous this morning because this is out of my comfort zone. Jesus, I know you have something to say. You are far more important than I am. I just want to bring the best. So Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Would you give me clarity? Would you give me calm? And Father, would you open our eyes and our ears to see you and to hear you, maybe in a way we never have before. And I ask God that you would so move in our hearts that by the end of this, we too want nothing less than to bring a complete hallelujah because you're worth it. So I welcome you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. So a few months back, I started thinking about, and, and there were some things that triggered this, but it just didn't get out of my head, and it was the story of Hannah, the account of Hannah in the Old Testament of your Bible. This is Israel's history, right? And, um, and I couldn't figure out why it wouldn't go away, but it just stayed with me. And then when Russ was was talking about this series, I remembered and, I, and it became very clear that this was, this was the chase. This is where it started. And I, I, I quickly set upon this journey and didn't know where it would end. So let's go, if you have your Bibles, to the book of 1 Samuel. It's kind of in the, the early part of your Old Testament. Now, Hannah, for those of you who don't know, was, was an, an Israeli woman. She was Jewish, I guess we would say, back in this time. And she, uh, she was married. She was the second wife. I don't know why any man would want more than one wife, but whatever, um, of Elkanah. And um, his other wife, Elkanah's other wife, had had children. But Hannah had not. She was barren. 
she could not conceive. And this became such a burden to her. And, and this really, in the very first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, it opens up with the story of Hannah. And it's pretty significant. Uh, you always pay attention to details like this, especially when they're, you know, it's, it feels like it's out of the norm a little bit, uh, to talk about a, a mom who can't conceive. It's, it's just something significant. And so it, it, the, the account goes that her husband said to her, you know, every time, every year, they'd go, they'd go to the place where they would bring their offerings and everything. The whole family would go, and, uh, and Mary or Hannah would just cry. She would just weep because she had no child. And, and the, other, the other wife would pick on her and made her life miserable. And so this was Hannah's position. She was barren. And so she goes to the temple um, at this point, she go, and, and Eli, the tabernacle, Eli is the priest at that point. Now, I want you to understand something about the history of Israel at this point in time. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God was their leader, right? He was a, a pillar of, uh, of fire by night and, and cloud by day. He led the people. Then there came a point where he appointed judges. Now, at this point in time, when we pick up in 1 Samuel, it's the period of the judges. And Eli is the priest. He has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are crooked. And so there's corruption going on. All right? And Hannah exists in this time frame. And so she goes to the tabernacle, and Eli is sitting in there, and her heart is so moved. She's crying out to God. And, and it, it, the scripture says that, says that her heart was so moved that her mouth was moving without words. She wasn't saying anything, but Eli thought she was drunk. So he kind of, which kind of tells me that maybe there was some problem with behavior at that time. But anyway, she was not drunk, and she says to him, I, I'm, I'm just praying for my heart. And so he says this to her, and I, this is, you need to know this. He, uh, he says this, Eli answers and after she tells him the story and says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. And of course, what happens is God blesses her and she conceives a child. And she had said, she had said to the Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And, and so she has this baby. She names him Samuel. And the first year after he was born, she did not take him to the tabernacle. Instead, she kept him with her. And she told her husband, when he is weaned, I will then take him at that time of year back to Shiloh. And I will dedicate him completely to the Lord. And what that looked like was, here's my son. He, he belongs to God. And she would hand him over to the priest. I don't know if I could do that, just saying. But then she sings this song. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking you on this little journey to get to the place where Hannah brings her hallelujah. This, this, this message today is entitled, A Hallelujah is Born. Okay, just so you know. She says this. My heart exalts in the Lord. 
My horn, my strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven. She's not referring to seven children for herself. She's referring to seven as a prophetic number. It means completion. Okay? But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, the place of the dead, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed, the strength of his anointed. And then it says, then Elkanah and and the family, including Hannah, went back to their home at Ramah, but that boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And it actually says in uh, the message, uh, translate, in verse 21 of, of chapter 2, the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived, she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. And in the message that reads, he grew up with God. Hannah's hallelujah occurs after the breakthrough. And she is actually looking back on what God has done for her as she raises the hallelujah. I was looking uh, and reading this uh, um, article on the author Andrew Clavin. He's a he's an author. He's written several books, um, and he's a screenwriter. He's a podcaster. Uh, you should look him up. He's got some great things. He recently wrote a, his latest book was The Great Good Thing, and it's actually his autobiography. What's interesting about Clavin is that it was Christmas and the Christian account at Christmas that led him, raised as an ethnic Jew, to salvation. And he talked about, a lot about being an intellect. And um, his, his, he, he said of his mother that she was, she was a flat atheist, and his father was, um, was, was at the very least agnostic. They didn't even practice their own religious things. And uh, he was so troubled by this as a boy that when he had his bar mitzvah, he gave away all of his gifts, which was, I guess it's a very valuable thing when you're given gifts as a, at, a, at a bar mitzvah. He gave them all away because he didn't feel he deserved them since he didn't believe in what it meant. So there was something on his life. And so he said that what actually opened the door to this, this faith at, 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 through Christmas, he had a nanny who would take care of him. 
And uh, she was a very dedicated Christian, and she loved Jesus. And he went to stay with her at Christmas time, and he loved the cooking, he loved the celebration, he loved the joy of Christmas. And when he went to bed at night, there was a picture of Jesus. You know the one? If you're my age and older, you know what I'm talking about. That one that's kind of soft, and he's kind of glowing. And it was hanging on the wall above the bed, and he said, it freaked me the heck out. And he said, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get to sleep. That's just creepy. But he said he fell asleep right away. And when he woke up, the sun was shining on that picture. And he said to himself as a little boy, self, this Jesus, there's something to him. And so he was intrigued at a young age. Later on, he gets saved through the story of Christmas, through, through what it is. And he says this, he says, um, he says, the other thing that's true is that I feel like a dope in a way because as I wrote this story, he's referring to his book, I could suddenly see that God and Christ had been in my story everywhere, frequently, in the person of people of faith who communicated that faith to me without ever talking about it directly. Not just my babysitter, but also random things like a nurse who came in to help us when my wife was in labor and her name was Cristiano. As, and, you know, Gary Carter, the baseball player, who was a devout Christian who made a random remark during an interview, which apparently he had heard, and, and it, it kind of transformed a part of my life. And then he said, later on, he said, it's amazing just how obvious it all was once I wrote it down, that there were these markers set along the way and frequently without the word Christ ever being mentioned. But once you see it, it's always there. Once you catch on that it's always about God, that everything is always about God, it is hard to unsee that. Now, Andrew is bringing his hallelujah. That's a Hannah hallelujah. How many of you have a Hannah hallelujah that you could bring? I do too. Now, what was interesting in God setting me on this, this chase was that I, I, at a certain point, had this revelation that, you know, Mary brought a hallelujah too, and we're all kind of familiar with that to some degree. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but there's a backstory with Mary. So now if you're tracking, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. It's going to start in 46, verse 46. But let me give you just a little bit of history with Mary. So Mary was betrothed to Joseph, which in the Jewish culture is akin to marriage. It's very serious. And of course, she conceives the Son of God. Um, and I, I don't get it. I just know it happened. And she was in this, in this culture that actually was in a tricky point, just like Hannah. So Israel had been living under the rulership now of a king, uh, you know, king after king after king after king, and most of them were corrupt. Most of them were actually evil. And it got so bad, I was reading in Jeremiah this morning, he was one of God's prophets, and he was prophesying at the time of, 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 of these kings, and he was saying, bad, you know, God is, God is bringing judgment here. And, um, but the corruption was so bad that... God went silent for 400 years. 400 years, God gives Israel the silent treatment. 
400 years, he is no longer speaking. They keep going on with business as usual, but God's not in it. And so here we have Mary living under this corrupt government, this corrupt state, and she is... uh, she, she, is, she has this encounter with an angel of the Lord that says, I, I'm bringing a savior through you. Okay, now, Mary had a lot of questions. In fact, if you look at, uh, it, says, it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I I think of Mary with a lot of questions. It was not a safe culture for unwed mothers. And nobody, nobody else saw this angel. So you can imagine the trickiness of this situation. And so by the time you get to verse 46 where she begins her hallelujah, which is called the Magnificat, in case she, in case she didn't know, she, she goes to visit this, her cousin Elizabeth, who the angel has said is now carrying a baby in her barrenness. All right? And when Mary greets Elizabeth, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who's six months old, leaps. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon her. And she begins to prophesy to Mary, who, as far as we know, had not told her that she was expecting a child. And she says, she says this, I might as well read it because otherwise I'll get it wrong. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. At that moment, Mary said, okay. That's what I think. It's just Kelly's interpretation. But I think Mary said, okay, let's do this. I mean, she'd already said okay, but I think she was scared. And so she lifts up this this word, and she says this, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. See, Mary's hallelujah required great trust because she hadn't walked it out yet. She was looking forward 
in her hallelujah. Let me give you a little illustration. A group of scientists and botanists were exploring remote regions of the Alps in search of a new species of flowers. One day, they noticed through binoculars a flower of such rarity and beauty that its value to science was incalculable. But it lay deep in a ravine with cliffs on both sides. To get the flower, someone had to be lowered over the cliff on a rope. A curious young boy who was watching nearby uh, caught the scientist's attention, and they told him they would pay him well if he would agree to be lowered over the cliff to retrieve the flower below. The boy took one long look down that steep, dizzy depth and said, I'll be back in a minute. A short time later, he returned, followed by a gray-haired man. Approaching the botanist, the boy said, I'll go over that cliff and get that flower for you if this man holds the rope. He's my dad. Mary recognized in that moment that Father God was holding the rope so she would trust him. You see what I'm saying? So her hallelujah was said, not knowing what the outcome would be, but completely trusting. How many of you are in a position that is precarious, that seems impossible, and you're not giving a hallelujah because, well, God hasn't really showed up yet. Mary sets this example of, doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter whether you can see the outcome or not, he's still worth it. Mary had a lot on the line. She gave a Mary hallelujah. Now, some of you, well, I hope all of you have a piece of paper that is sealed. If you'll take that out and open that up. I hope there's not going to be major letdown. These are my notes from my ribbon chase. As I thought about Hannah and Mary, I, I began to see a correlation. It was like God was saying, hey, check this out. So what you have in front of you is a side-by-side -side of both of their hallelujahs, okay? And then you have a box in the middle that says content. And you can see that's your legend. And I, I just want to take you quickly through what the Lord revealed to me in their hallelujahs. This is a pattern for a hallelujah that you and I can give to God, okay? The first one, I exalt in Yahweh. Hannah says, my heart exalts in the Lord. That, as Russ said last week, that is Yahweh. My soul exalts in the Lord, Yahweh, Mary says. Number two, rejoice in salvation. Hannah says, I rejoice in your salvation. Mary says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Savior is salvation, okay? Number three, he is holy. Hannah says, there's no one holy like the Lord. Mary and holy is his name. Four, he opposes the proud. Don't let arrogance come out of your mouth. It goes on to say, because he knows who you are. Just saying. Um, Mary says, he has scattered those who are proud. If you struggle with pride, it is in your best interest to turn into it and get rid of it. I say this to myself as well. Five, he makes the rich needy. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. 
And Mary says, he sent away the rich empty-handed. And what that means, it, it means in Hannah's uh, hallelujah, uh, those who had food all of a sudden found themselves out begging for it. He, he flipped the script. Number six, it says he feeds the hungry. Those who were hungry cease to hunger. He has filled the hungry with good things. You seeing where I'm going with this? Uh, he rewrites my story. If you look in Hannah's, it says, even the barren gives birth. He saw who she was. He knew her condition, and he met her there. Mary, on, on, on the other side, she says in verse 48, he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. He knows who I am. He knows what my reputation is facing. He knows all about me. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. I am humbled now. I may face hard, but I will be blessed. He sees me. He knows me. He rewrites my story. Eight, he humbles and he raises up. God's God. He can do whatever he wants. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit the seat of honor. And Mary says he's brought down rulers from their thrones, exalted those who were humble. And the last one, he keeps his promises. If you look at that last verse uh, in Hannah's hallelujah, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. That's Jesus. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. That's Jesus. Here is a prophetic utterance of what had not yet happened. And of course, we know that it has. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected, and he ascended. Mary says the same type of thing. He's given help to Israel, his servants, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. That promise that he made to Abraham and his descendants forever is all of Israel, and it's still in existence. He has not reneged on that promise. He keeps his promises. As I looked further, I noted that Hannah and Mary had the same posture. Um, for instance, both of them were women in a culture that was hard on women. They were probably the least likely candidates, and yet he chose them. Both of them were pregnant. Um, the, one, the one doesn't, he, he, she comes in and, and she, she's barren to begin with, but then she conceives and she gives birth to a promise named Samuel. And of course, Mary gives birth to a promise named Jesus. And both were big picture thinkers, meaning they thought beyond themselves. It wasn't just about them. They were thinking about what God was going to do through their lives and how it would change the world. We know this because they talk about the generations to come. This is unusual for both of them. They were likely uneducated women. They, they, they likely couldn't read. They likely could not write. They would have known the Torah, but they didn't have an inside track. And yet they both wrote about the same types of things. This is quite unusual. Have you ever thought about it before? I hadn't. Now, the outcome is interesting because in Hannah's case, 
Her baby chose the very first king. He began a new kingdom in his choosing of Saul, who was Israel's first king. Versus Mary, whose baby also brought a new kingdom. He became the king of kings. Both carried an absolute revolution within them. It just kind of blows my mind, to be honest with you. C.S. Lewis, he, he said this about, I, I don't want to miss this, because in, in this story of, of both of them, there is, this, there is this incubation that's going on, literally. But, but let's, let's take a step back. C.S. Lewis said this about, about the Christmas story. Um, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, for those of you who maybe don't know. Um, he says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he's created. But he goes down to come back up and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has this picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. What's crazy about this is that you and I carry this God within us. That, that, that Jesus who, who came as, as, as a humble baby and then spent his life for the sake of you and I, died, resurrected, and then ascended and was seated next to God on the right-hand side. And God put everything, all authority under his feet. There's a new king in town, right? He had you and I in mind this whole time. And it allowed for him to come within you and me. How I just, I challenge myself. I'm, st- I'm talking to myself here. Do I think about that? When, it, when Christmas comes along, with all the, the lights and the sounds and the smells and the food and the, you know, the family, the fun, the songs, like, do I think about what that really symbolizes? Aunt Andrew Clavin came to faith as, as a, 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 an ethnic Jew because when he looked into the Christmas celebration by Christians, he saw a piece that he didn't have access to as a Jew. And most of the great Christmas uh, writers in music and, and in, in film, they were Jews. They were compelled by the Christmas story as, as, as the Christians told it. They didn't even believe in Messiah. But they saw the magic and the wonder. Magic, don't be offended. The wonder of God in Christmas. And we have access to it all the time, and I, I feel like I forget. 
You know, uh, as, as Pastor Russ was teaching last week about hallelujah, there were some, some things that God began speaking into my heart, and he was like, you know, you've heard me say, you've heard me say things about worship, because I'm the one that, uh, I have a big mouth, and I like to challenge you, and I talk about worship, I was raised up as a worship leader first, and, um, and I love the power of worship, uh, it's not because God, listen, God is not a small God who needs for us to like give him accolades or he's going to feel insecure. That is not what worship is. Worship is for us. Worship changes the condition of our hearts. It changes the way that we see. That's why it's so critical. If you're going through bad things, worship. Worship is an act of rebellion against the circumstances you find yourself in. Let me tell you some other, other observations. A hallelujah, which is worship, is the opportunity to rise up, no matter what. A hallelujah is a rejection of victimhood. I am not a victim because God is mighty. A hallelujah is a declaration of triumph with no strings attached. You don't give God a hallelujah so long as he follows through on this. No, 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 no. Because you're not, you're not just declaring his goodness, you're declaring the victory that you haven't seen yet. A hallelujah is a choice. We get to choose it. We should choose it. It is warfare. It is strategy. It's how you win. A hallelujah is rooted in a belief that has nothing to do with emotion or feeling. If you don't feel like worship, get over it. I'm going to praise him anyway. Hello. It has nothing to do with how you feel. That's where the sacrifice piece comes in. It's not about you. And yet it absolutely benefits you. A hallelujah is a prophetic testimony of things yet unseen. We see that in Mary's hallelujah. I will be blessed. She is. She was. A prophetic or a hallelujah is not contingent upon one's circumstances. We've already kind of covered that. A hallelujah is a reclamation of identity in the midst of tragedy. Sometimes tragedy is so overwhelming that you don't remember who you are anymore. But God has never forgotten you. He knows you better than you know you. So if you need a reminder of who you really are, give him a hallelujah. And all of a sudden, I, I don't get it. It is not about this. I had this awesome, awesome conversation with my four-year-old grandson, Luke, whose name means light. He is, he, and, and God speaks to me through that little boy. And he, we, we were having this conversation, and, and he had been speaking about what God was saying to his, in his heart to his mother. And, of course, he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> I wanted him to, but he wouldn't tell me. So I can't remember, uh, which means talk to the hand. Um, and I said to him, you know, Luke, I think it's so awesome that you're hearing Jesus for yourself. He said, I said, do you know most grown-ups can't do that? 
And he said, why, Gammer? And I said, well, I said, because, because God is always talking to your heart. But grown-ups like to listen with their heads. And so because they're disconnected from their hearts, they can't hear what he has to say. How are you at hearing him speak? Are you all up in your head? Or are you yielded in your heart? Listen, you cannot deny that there are two parts of who you are. There's this analytical, critical thinker that exists right here, but there is a spirit too. And this is a God who is not as interested in your brain as he is in your heart, in your spirit. And he wants to speak to you. A hallelujah is that an act of humiliation in the midst of victory. What I'm referring to here is when things are going great. You're saying hallelujah because he gets the glory, not you. A hallelujah is the key that unlocks heaven on earth. It's a tether that binds my heart to his. It is almost like when I step into worship, I actually see like a, like a Star Trek kind of portal, you know, where it goes, and now something happens. People show up. When I worship, that's what I see. I stand in this place, this, this marked out place that I have created with him. And I've said, it's just you, God. It's just you. I just, I just need you. You're worth it, God. There's no one like you. You're everything to me. If you will simply take this life and do whatever you will with it, God, I win. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's this place where, where all of a sudden the, the me inside of me that I maybe am not even really comfortable with connects with the part of God that I can't conceive of that I don't understand, and all of a sudden, I know that I know that I know that I know that he is good, that he is God, and that he's got my back. It's essential. It's essential. So I got this, this word from the Lord as I was sitting here at my computer going, well, I got the time to write and I got nothing to write. What do you want to say? I just, like, I don't get it. And so he shows up to me and this is what he said to me. And this is for you as well. He says, the Bible is actually a very complex collection of writings. There are layers upon layers and nuances that appear with each of those layers in combination. There are inferences which are left completely up to speculation, and there are bald-faced declarations that leave no room for varying interpretations. The beauty of each person written about in the scriptures is their relatability to every human being, you and me. It draws the reader into an intimacy with me that would otherwise be impossible. The truth behind Hannah and Mary 
is the promise of a perfect Savior born in them to issue in a whole new reality. This is the birth of kingdom. Neither of those women was the Savior, and yet they carried his reality within them. Hannah comes as a barren woman bereft of hope and purpose. She represents the one who is empty of purpose and frustrated of promise. Mary comes already full of the hope, capital H, of the world, but she's unsure as to how it is a good thing meant to change the world beginning with her. This is the one who already carries the Savior, but have has not yet fully submitted to the reality of his birth in their life. They carry the truth within, but they've not yet grappled with how that will change their world. Both Hannah and Mary play significant roles in the history and timeline of Jesus. Both are key to the story of Christ made manifest. I want to illustrate a condition of the heart through each of these snapshots in the biblical narrative. See, the hallelujah is the point of surrender to the impact of the new birth. It is with the hallelujah that life is changed, life on earth. That hallelujah is the submission of a new way of living under a new king. And it all begins with you. In the heart, from within. So which are you? Are you Hannah or are you Mary? I, I want to invite you to bring your hallelujah. You have been waiting long enough, don't you think? There is so much more than what you've settled for. And it begins with the choice, be born in me. I've sung this song several times. And uh, I've always sung it with the Christmas uh, account in mind. But it has a different, a different connotation to me in light of this teaching. And I want you to listen to the words. I don't know if they're up on the screens or not, but I want you to listen, listen to them. Everything inside me cries for order Everything inside me wants to hide Is this shadow an angel or a warrior? If God is pleased with me why am I so terrified? Someone tell me I'm only dreaming. Somehow help me see with heaven's eyes. And before my head agrees, my heart is on its knees. Holy is he, 
Blessed am I Be born In May Be born In me Trembling heart Somehow I Make my heart 
to have music to bring a hallelujah. You don't have to play guitar well. <laughs> but I want to issue an invitation to you right now. I'm calling all Hannah's. I'm calling all Mary's. Wherever you are in the condition of your heart. Why don't you bring your hallelujah? We can use the words of this song, which is so beautifully voiced. You want to sing with me? Of course you do. you to close your eyes. I don't want you looking around. Even if this isn't for you, it's for somebody. Let's sing that again. This is your, this is your invitation to start again. This, let, can you do it now? Don't leave here the same way you came in. Ready, be born in me. Be born in me.
Yeah, beautiful. Make my be born in me. We're going to sing it one more time so I don't have to sing with you. Be born in Yes. I don't know. I don't know exactly how God works. I just know that he does. If if God has ministered to your heart today, if you stood in this place just like Hannah where like you're looking back and you're going, "Man, I don't know what has kept me." Hallelujah, God. Or maybe you're you were the Mary where you're like, "I don't know how this is going to pan out, but I'm going to give it to you anyway." Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you tell someone? There's just there's power in that. Let me pray over you. Jesus, you're so faithful. You do the unexpected. I give you the glory, Father. We give you the glory. We give you the hallelujah. We give you the hallelujah, God. You're so worthy. Bless you this morning. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you. We love you. Amen. Thank you.